If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. Chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'll begin to read in verse 1. The Bible reads in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in service to Naaman's wife. And she said to her, Mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and thus, so, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talons and of, of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this last letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you, name on my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. But when Elijah the man of God heard the, that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came to him and said, My father, is it a great word the prophet has spoken to you? I mean, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? 
So we went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh is restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know now there is no God on all the earth but in Israel, so except now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. But he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said this, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege again, Lord, to stand in the pulpit of Eastport Baptist, Lord, and I thank you, Father, for opening our minds to the truth. I pray, Father, that as we read through this passage, that we will see, Lord, the picture it draws. Thank you, Lord, for, for always providing for us. Thank you, Lord, for opening our minds to the truth. Lord, I just pray, Father, that we will be servants, Lord, that can be used. Lord, I pray we'll be light to a dark world. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past few months, I've had... I've had quite a, f uh, a, a few occasions to sit down and talk with people, uh, my neighbors, my coworkers, and uh, and when I say sit down and talk, I mean for a couple of hours to just talk about God and the things of God and the Bible and their beliefs. And I have come across on more than one occasion people that say they are Christians, but they do not know the word of God and I, I remember a comedian or someone saying that just because you stand in a garage doesn't make you a car or and of course this one when I first preached this message I used to say uh, just because you Put on a dress doesn't make you a woman, and I know today that's uh, that's up in the air. But anyway, it isn't up in the air. And I just want to tell you right now, just because you go to church, just because you call yourself Christian does not make you Christian. Now, I believe, in fact, I love it. A lot of times it's hard to teach from the Old Testament, but there are passages where the picture to me is so obvious that it makes it easy to teach. You, you see what's going on and then you see the, the parallels spiritually. And that's a dangerous thing to do sometimes. But I mean, if I think of Exodus 12 and 
the Israelites trapped in the bondage of uh, under bondage and uh, God uh, delivering them from that bondage. That is a, and the way He does it is with a spotless lamb. That is a clear picture <laughs> of of us and salvation. And there are others, uh, but I believe in this passage there is what I call salvation's IDs. What if if you're my brother and sister in Christ, you should have these IDs. And so I'd like to go through them and uh, let's just look at the first one uh, in verse 1 and it this ID, every every ID, every every one we're going to look uh, look at starts with ID. So the first one is an incurable disease, incurable disease. And you see here in verse one that we have Naaman, and notice he is the commander of the army of Syria, not Israel, but Syria. And it's and it says here he was a great and an honorable man. In the eyes of his master, that would be the king of Syria. He was great and honorable because he won wars. And he provided victory to Syria. And the reason he won wars was because, I want you to notice this, of Yahweh, the God of Israel. It says it right here. Because he was an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord, that's Yahweh, had given victory to Syria. God had a purpose. And it also says he was a mighty man of valor. He was a man's man. Everybody loved him. And I'm sure he had a four camel garage. I mean, I'm sure that all the guy all the boys had the action figures that wanted to be like Naaman. But Naaman has a problem. Naaman is a leper. And in that day, that was, without the move of God, that was an incurable disease. I believe that this is a picture of the Christian. The Christian is... The Christian starts out with an incurable disease. And that disease I'm talking about is a sin nature. It's a sin nature. And they can't do anything about it. Man cannot cure this, though we've tried. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, the Lord calls, it says, for, it says this, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's evil from his youth. King David, when he was mourning over his sin in Psalm 51, uh, verse 5 says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It's not talking about his mother sinning while she's conceiving David. He's talking about when, when his father's sperm and his mother's egg met in conception, he was in sin. He was in sin. Why is that? Well, I, I think I've, I may have told this uh, 
this use this example before, but I'll use it again. When I was in, when I lived in Columbus in a, as a young child, Columbus, Mississippi, I we had we played baseball in the backyard, and second base was an apple tree. And so, if you hit, which was a very interesting field because you had a tree right in the middle of the baseball field, but nonetheless, we did what we did, right? And uh, if you got a hit and you got a double and everybody was getting ready, you, you could take a break and reach up and pull down an apple. And they were delicious apples. And I never, I want you to know, I never reached up there from that apple tree and pulled down an orange. Never, not once. Never pulled a pear, never pulled a peach. There wasn't a watermelon up there. It wasn't a pineapple. It was always apples. Why? Because you get apples from apple trees. And in the same sense, the reason David was conceived and in sin was because he was conceived by sinners, his mama and daddy. And they were conceived by sinners, their mamas and daddies. And they were conceived by sinners, their mamas and daddies. Dot, 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 back to Adam and Eve who first sinned in the garden. This is where we get our sin nature. King, uh, the psalmist also says in chapter 58, in verse 3, he says, The wicked are estranged from the womb, it says. From the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born speaking lies. You do not have to teach your children to lie. It comes naturally. You have to teach them to tell the truth. So... Uh, Job, in Job chapter 15 and verse 16, we read, How much less one who is an abomination and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. That's man. We drink injustice like water. That's our description. Paul tells us in, cha uh, in chapter 5 of Romans in verse 12 that sin came into the world through one man, that man being Adam, and death through sin. So we all have a sin nature. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, you'd have to point out this verse. It says that we, we all once conducted ourselves, and he's talking to Christians, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature, it's just our nature. It's just who we are. Who we are. No one's exempt. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. All of these are verses we know, but I, you know, I have to visit them. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Paul quotes the Old Testament when he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. And then just to add it, just in case someone says, yeah, yeah, you're right, except, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. He goes, no, not one, not one. There's nobody that's good. There's no one that's good. Isn't, isn't it Jesus that said no one's good but God? No one's good but God. So, I believe this, this picture is being drawn here of a man 
who has this incurable disease. This picture is the incurable disease, which is our sin nature. But let's go on to the second ID. That's the first ID. The second ID is an eyeless devotion. An eyeless devotion. Look at verse 2. So the Syrians go out on raids, which led by Naaman. And he brings back this young girl from the land of Israel. And she, he forces her to serve his wife. Now, you would expect that if that happened, that he probably he pillaged her village for sure. It's likely that some of her family may have been killed. This is an awful thing that's happened. An awful thing. But look what she says to her. You would expect her to be angry. You would expect her to be, you know, to, to, when she knows that he has leprosy, uh, to say things like, I, I hope that I don't want you to die. I want you to suffer a long death, a long life. I hate you. I hate you. But listen to what she actually says. She says to her mistress, if only my master, talking about Naaman, were with the prophet who was in Samaria, then he would heal him of his leprosy. Wow. That's not, the that's not the response you expect. That's not who we are. This is, she's not thinking of herself at all. She's thinking about Naaman, a mean man, and his condition. And actually suggesting a way that it can be remedied. That's an eyeless devotion. That's, and I believe that's a picture of what is required of us. Of every single one of us. Perfection, if you will. To not think about ourselves, but to, but to, be, to, but to love our neighbors like we should. In Ezekiel 18, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 4, God says this, The soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Well, that's not good news because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that not right? And Jesus teaches in, on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 40 through 4, he says this, You're to love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. To pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He says, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And, and, he, and he gives an example of this, of how God shows love to both, to both the just and the unjust. He says he sends the rain on both of them. He says, and he goes, what, what is it if you just love those that love you? I mean, tax collectors can do that, right? 
And then he says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And isn't, isn't it in the book of James that we read in chapter 2, as a matter of fact, that if you break one law, your guilt, one point, you can keep all the law, but if you just break one thing, you're guilty. That one time you go through the McDonald's drive through and they leave off the pickles and you lose it, right? Or whatever, whatever it is, right? One sin, you're guilty. You're, you're a transgressor, is what he says. And that's all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even on the cross, Jesus, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, he, even, even then, the Bible records that he was asking forgiveness for those that were, were murdering him. So, very clearly, the New Testament teaches that uh, that there is this there is this th- th- that you cannot keep the law. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the law is good as long as it's used the right way. If you try to use the law for uh, salvation to be justified, to be declared righteous, then you you're misusing the law. The law is a schoolmaster that drives you to the cross. So we have, here's the first two things. We have this incurable disease that we see, a sin nature, and a requirement of a a perfection, an eyeless devotion, if you will, that we can't do. Boy, this is uplifting, isn't it? I, I... I think I think last time I was here I told you I went on on a mission trip to to Ecuador and went into the jungle and came out when I came when we came out of the jungle we went to uh, a school for the deaf and there was just little Ecuadorian kids running around they could not hear uh, and we had someone with us uh, actually a teenager from from the high school uh, in America, and and she was able, she knew sign language, and so I, I asked her, I said, "How do you say you're beautiful in sign language?" And she says, "You just do this." And all those kids were just adorable, and so I I walked around and I saw this young young lady, a young lady, this young girl, probably nine, ten years old, just as adorable as the day is long. And I said to her, I said, you're, you're beautiful. And she smiled and she looked at me and she said, you're fat. Mm. You know, sometimes you just need to hear the truth. You know, I, I, this is a true story. I came home from that uh, mission trip. I went on a diet and lost 40 pounds. Now, I've found it since then, and this is where the analogy breaks down, but the point is sometimes we need to hear the truth. And the truth is, is that we are conceived with a sin nature, and we are required to be perfect, and we are not perfect. But that brings us to the third ID. So, first, 
an incurable disease. Second, an eyeless devotion. Third, an illogical duty. An illogical duty. Verse 4. So Naaman, he goes to, his, to the king of Syria, and he says, look, there's this, I like the way the Bible reads, uh, at least I think this is the, uh, the new King James in my notes. Uh, thus and thus says the girl, it says in the new King James, and it's similar in the ESV, thus and thus. That's interesting. God breathed words. Thus and thus. So in other words, girl head, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever. But thus and thus says the girl who is from the land of Israel. In other words, she tells me how I can be healed. And the king of Syria, his ears perk up. Healed. Yeah, because when I lose Naaman, I lose a great man. I lose a man that's been winning wars for me. And so he says, good, we're going to send you. We're going to send you to Israel. We're gonna, I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel. Go right now. And so Naaman loads up. He's got silver and he's got gold and he's got chases of clothing. Right? All you need for a trip back then. And I'm uh, sure he's got an entourage. And he goes to the king of Israel. Remember, the girl said the prophet. But he goes to the king. And, he, and the letter reads, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him as of a leprosy. And the king flips out. Because he's like, who am I? I'm not God. I can't heal people of leprosy. I can't do this. What? Oh, this is a trap. This guy's he's gonna he's gonna attack again, and he tears his clothes, which which in that day is a sign of mourning, of distress. And God, and, and I'm sorry, and and Elijah hears about this, that the king has torn his clothes, and he goes. He sends the word and says, what are you doing? Why are you tearing your clothes? Send them to me. Then he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so uh, he has sent, Naaman is sent to Elijah. And he comes to Elijah's house. And I want you to know, uh, think about the picture here. Elijah, all his entourage. Elijah, he's the commander of the army of Syria. He deserves the utmost respect. And he goes to the house and he knocks on the door and he's expecting Elijah to come out and to do something. But what does Elijah do? He sends his servant out. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Slam. And Elijah's and uh, Naaman begins to shake with anger. He begins to shake with anger. And he's like, what are you, what, how, do you not know who I am? He's got all this pride busting from him. And do you not understand who I, do you know, I, I am Naaman, commander of the army of Syria. I expect the prophet to come out here and I expect him to wave his hand over my leprosy and to cure it and it be gone. That's what I expect. What is this? And he goes off in a rage. So I'm not going to go and, and wash in the, in the Jordan. That's a, those are filthy, filthy waters in Israel. I got clean waters back in Syria. 
Why can't I go back there? And then, and so he's off, and he's off. I believe that's a picture of today, this illogical duty that the Bible gives the world. And that is what Jesus said in Luke 3.13, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you you must repent of your sin, he says. And even when even in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the gateway to salvation. And it's not just repentance. It's not just a a sorry for sin, even though repentance is necessary. But you can't just just can't apologize and, and agree that yeah I've sinned and ask for forgiveness. No, you must turn to Jesus and believe on His finished work on the cross. In Mark sixteen sixteen, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And we all know John 3.16, whoever believes on him, he believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the call is to turn, to repent. The Bible clearly teaches. You can, you, I mean, the New Testament, this isn't debatable, even though it's debated a lot. But if you honestly examine the scriptures, look at Romans 4. It is salvation comes not to those who do things, but to those who don't do things to be declared righteous, but believe on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. You must repent and believe. And that is just a stupid message to the world. I remember, I remember watching uh, decades ago, um, politically incorrect by Bill Maher, host by, hosted by Bill Maher, and he had a Jew and a Christian on there, and the Jew was saying this this thing about a cross and dying on a cross and and having to believe in that, he says, no, you've got to be good to go to heaven. You must be good to go to heaven. And the Christian was going, you can't be good. That's the problem. You can't be good. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. It's foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. But to those which are being saved, it's the power of God. The gospel is the power to salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says this. You don't get saved any other way, by the way. It's you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, according to Ephesians 2. Not of works. Least anyone should boast. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. John chapter 14, verse 6. So this is illogical to the world. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. But to those who God has opened minds, like he did Lydia, this is the power to salvation, the gospel. So the IDs of a Christian are born with an incurable disease, born under a requirement of an eyeless devotion, perfection, which we miss, and we're presented with an illogical duty that's something that's illogical to the world, and that is to rather than work to be justified, but rather than that, but to repent of our sin, turn from our sin and turn to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the next ID is the identifiable difference. See, Naaman's, those that were with Naaman came to him and said, well, you know what, what the prophet said, it's a, it's a mighty thing. Why don't you just go do it? Just go wash and be clean. And so, in verse 14, we see that Naaman humbled himself. Despite being the king of the, the, the commander of the army of, of Syria, and despite, you know, demanding respect, he finally humbles himself. He goes down to the Jordan. He has to dismount. He, he, he has to take off all his armor. He goes into the water, and it says here that he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. It says, so we went down there and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And he comes up and it says that his flesh was restored. And I love this, like the flesh of a little child. Like the flesh of a little child. And Harrison and Tiffany can tell us about the flesh of a little child. Of course, we all know. That flesh is smooth and, and blemishless and flawless and, sm- and just, just tender. I guarantee you, and it says he was clean. I guarantee you when he came out that seventh time the, and, he, and, he, and he came up, they did not look at him and ask, did it work? They didn't. They did not have to ask. It worked. And he was changed. And I believe this is a picture of the identifiable difference of a person's life when they do business with God, when they turn, when they quit trying to be justified by works and they turn uh, uh, from their sin and they turn to the finished work of Jesus Christ, God will put his spirit in them and that spirit will produce fruit. And there will be a difference that people see. They won't have to ask. I worked with someone for a number of years and one day found out he was a Christian. And I went, wow, really? (laughs) Wouldn't have guessed that. Or he claimed to be a Christian. 
In John 10, 17, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that means we're obedient. And as I said, in Galatians chapter 5, 22, I said, God puts his spirit in you, and that spirit produces fruit, and we see the fruit. So this is what you ought to be looking for in yourself. If, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, the question is, is there love, joy, peace, peace patience, good, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control? Is it there? Because that's the kind of fruit, that's the fruit that the Spirit produces. And if, it's, if the Spirit's in you, it's going to be there if there's life. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You will bring forth fruit. In John 15, 16, he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. It shall remain. That's what he ordained. People that are saved by the grace of God produce fruit, and that fruit stays. In other words, they persevere. They overcome the world. If you're born of God, 1 John chapter 5, if you're born of God, you will overcome the world. And I think a few months back, we... We looked at this, but I just want to visit it again. I want to revisit Matthew 25 and verse 15, the, the parable of the talents, where he gave five talents to one and two talents to another and one talent, and, and, and the first two went and did something with the talents they received. And that's a measure of, it's a measure, it's not singing or whatever, okay? Uh, and he went, uh, and then he went, uh, uh, but the one, one, he went and buried it, and then the master comes back. And, and you know what happened. I mean, the two that had done something, they, they enter into glory. The one that didn't do anything into outer darkness. But I think it's instructive to read what Jesus says about the, the end of time. In Matthew 25, verse 34. He says to the king will say to those when when he, and this is the time where he separates the sheep from the goats. And he says the king will say to those on the right come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and then he says for here's the reason here's the reason that they're going to heaven that they're going to be uh, that they have eternal life with the father for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And I want to remind you that those things that we do are there. We do them because we have the spirit in us. Because we're born of God. But I think it's very instructive instructive 
to read this. In fact, they, they said, Lord, when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? When, when did we do this? When, I don't remember doing that to you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And here's the command. People that are born of God, they love people that are born of God. Right? First John chapter 5. People that are born of God love those who were born of God. That's what it says. It's just the way it works. And it's very instructive back in Matthew 25 to those he says on the left. He says to those on on his left, he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he gives the reason. They're going into eternal fire. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you? When did we do this? I don't remember this. And he answers, Matthew 25, 45, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal. So there's a, this shows us that there is a there's a change that happens and it's unmistakable nobody should have to ask if you're a christian and this this thing about this thing this is this is so crucial that we listen to this if you read through the old testament just read, in fact, start with the prophets and you, and you see God get angry at Israel and he judges them. One of the main reasons he judges them is because they do not look after the widow and the orphan, those that are truly in need. They're just, they're just indifferent or even oppress them. And he's angry, I mean, he's very angry about that. Even in John, even today, we heard James chapter 2 read. And what was the example given about faith that was dead? It was the one who saw a brother or sister in need and say, Be warm and be filled. But you didn't do anything. It's all talk. 1 John chapter 3 says, Let us not love in word and, and, and tongue, uh, in tongue, but let us wo- love in word and deed. Did I butcher that or what? Let us not let us not love in word and tongue, but in truth and deed. There it is. That's it. You can tell that one's not down here. The bottom line is, is this is this is a this is the evidence that we have been born again. Do we care about those that are truly in need? I'm not talking about the person on the street corner that wants money to get drugs. I'm not talking about that. Actually, we should care about them. Just don't give them money. But give them a place to go to if they want to be freed from that. And that would be by giving 
to a rescue mission or something. But we should care about people. We should care. If we're children of God, if we're born of God, we will care. Not just with words, but with action. So there, the ID so far is an incurable disease, an eyeless devotion, an illogical duty, identifiable difference. And then in verse 15, the immeasurable due. The immeasurable due. He says, Naaman, he returns to the man of God after this has happened. He is so grateful. And he stands before Elijah. Elijah. And he says, now, listen to what he says. Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth. All those other gods that I used to think were gods, I can't do this. Except in Israel. So take this gift from your servant. Notice, notice this. Look at the change. Remember, he was so angry because he, man, I'm Naaman. Now he's a servant. Take this gift from your servant. But Elijah is like, nope. As the Lord lives before my stand, I'm not going to take it. And, and, and Naaman's like, no, 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 you don't understand. The, I this, is, this is amazing. I, I believe. There's only, there's only the, the God of Israel is the only real God. Please take this gift. And Naaman and, and Elijah says, you can't afford what just happened to you. I believe that is the measurable due that is due to every person who's been born of God. To remember that you, you did not do this. We didn't earn this. We weren't smart enough. We weren't, uh, we weren't the right kind of person to receive this. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And it took God to enter his own creation to live the perfect life we should have lived and to die a horrible death. For us to be saved. We owe Jesus all. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you've been brought, bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. This is what's due. Is to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits because Jesus bought us. And it, that reminds me of, the, of Hosea, in the book of Hosea, where Hosea is told by God to go marry a prostitute. And she has, and they have babies. And you go read that and you read the names of the babies. Oh my, you go read that. But then she goes back to her old ways. And she goes prostituting. She's married, but she goes and she's with so many men. It gets to the point where even the men don't want her. And she's just, just despicable. And she ends up on the slave block. Because she's destitute. 
And then God tells Hosea, go buy her. Go buy her. How humiliating for Hosea. How humiliating for Jesus to have to enter his own creation and allow his creation to mock him, to slap him in the face and say, who hit you? To accuse him to be of the devil. But he did it all so that he could buy us. Us. Filthy, lousy us. That's the immeasurable due that's, that we owe. To glorify God in our bodies and in our souls. Well, one last one. So we've got the incurable disease, the eyeless devotion, the illogical duty, the identifiable difference, the immeasurable due. And then the last thing in verse 17 is the indwelling divinity. It says right here that Naaman said, okay, if you won't take the gift, then I'm, I'm asking if you'll let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods but to the Lord literally but to Yahweh why in the world did he ask what does that mean well I am told and I say it like that because you know I'm told here's what that means It was thought in that day that a man couldn't worship God unless he was in that God's land. And he was going back to Syria. And he thought, well, I'll be in Syria, so if I can't stay in Israel, I'll just take Israel with me. So he's going to take the dirt. And so he takes the dirt back and builds a sandbox i don't know and throws the dirt in it and steps in and worships god i don't i don't know what he missed is this that god is not just the god of israel god is lord over all creation lord of all creation didn't the centurion know that remember the centurion come to jesus and said uh, I, my servant, he's really sick. Would you, you know, would you heal him? Heal him now? And Jesus goes, "Okay, I'll go and heal him." He said it just like that. I'll go and heal him. And the servant says, "No, no, no. I'm not worthy of you to go to me to my house." But if all you, you know, he says, I, I, I've, "I'm a man under authority, and I have people under me, and I tell people what to do. People under me, I tell them to do this, and they do it." And the reason he says that is because he's saying to Jesus. You have authority of all. And all you've got to do is just say the word and it'll happen. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's Lord over all creation. He's Lord over cancer. He's Lord over, uh, over sickness. He's Lord over death. And that Lord is in you. That God is in you if you're my brother and sister in Christ. So let's say, let's say that for years you've been coming to this church but you know you never truly repented of your sin you live like the devil 
But today you say, today's the day I repent of my sin. And I, 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 I'll, I'm turning to Jesus. And I, I'm going to trust in Jesus for my salvation. I know that there are people here, they, won't, they wouldn't make fun of you or get mad at you. They would be excited. They, they would rejoice with you. But you know, when you go out to that world out there, when you go out to Syria, when you go out to Syria, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to laugh at you. But I got a good news for you. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. He will give you a helper that he may abide with you forever. You're not going alone. You have the Spirit of God in you. That's the indwelling divinity. So, what a story, huh? What a piece of history. And I, I'm, you know, again, I think it's, you, you have to be careful trying to spiritualize things, but wow, this seems so clear. We're born in sin. There's nothing we can do. We are born under the requirement to be perfect, and we're not. We're already condemned. But the illogical duty is to repent of your sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and then he will put his spirit in you there will be a, an identifiable difference and then you live your life like you know that you've been bought with a price and you can do that because the spirit's in you amen if you haven't ever turned from your sin and trusted Jesus I would encourage you today don't, don't wait the devil wants you to wait to put it off. I would encourage you to talk with Brother Steve right after, come directly to him and tell him and then be baptized and then be light to a very dark world. Lord, I want to thank you for this privilege again. What a, you know, I don't take it lightly. I thank you, Father, for, for salvation I think for 37, eight years, Lord, I was lost and I could have been lost forever. And you would have still been just and righteous. But Lord, you are merciful. Thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I thank you, Lord, for the salvation of many in here. Lord, I pray that you would, this this message would en- would encourage us and edify us and cause us to go be light, to go glorify you. It's in Jesus' name.